life is a riddle and waking up is the answer. Is the kind of night when fireflies eclipse the stars and my baby sister's silhouette swallows my doorway as she shows up with her pillow and bed sheet. I can't sleep, she whispers. Neither can I, I say. I pack Mama's homemade jackfruit jam and help her out of the window as we begin running. We're sprinting like two magnificent wolves, howling our chests out, our silver anklets whistling violently as the wind begins a sultry affair with our hair. We're wild things that no past can own, chasing dragonflies into the humid dark. Hi there, thank you so much for joining me one more time on India's first graphology-based leadership show called Absolutely Right. I'm your host, Aditi Surana. I know I don't sound like my usual self because I'm tested positive, but I'm still your host, Aditi Surana, a behavioral analyst, a high-performance coach and an anti-anxiety expert. Have you heard about a new podcast called Daily Mental Fitbit? Each episode that is delivered daily on that podcast is only for three minutes. I talk about tools, methods for you to be mentally fit and emotionally strong. The podcast was launched on 7th of Jan 2022 and just within three days it became number three podcast in the mental health category on Apple Podcast. So if you haven't taken a moment, please check it out. We are getting some amazing reviews on it. You would love every bit of it. On that note, let me introduce you to our today's guest, Megha Rao, a phenomenal young dynamic woman who is a confessional performance poet and a surrealist artist. I saw Megha's performance for the first time in Spoken Fest and I must tell you, her words stayed with me for weeks. Her intensity, the way she presented, the thought that she did actually reached my heart. And I know that is applicable to so many people. So if you have seen Megha perform, I know she does not require any introduction. If you're new to Megha, then you must check out her podcast, Poems to Calm Down To by Megha Rao. In today's episode, Megha talks about her new book, Teething, which is a story written in verse. It is a phenomenal, intense experience. We speak about her journey, her personality, what made her the kind of artist that she has become. It is a treat to an extent that after recording with Megha, we just could not remove any part of that conversation as every single piece was hard-hitting, her questions were really, really relevant. So for the first time on the Absolutely Right podcast, we decided to break one interview into two parts. One portion is today's episode and the next one will release on next Wednesday. Without further ado, let me invite Negha and get that phenomenal conversation started right away. Hi Mega, welcome to Absolutely Right. Hi Aditi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm also, I'm also pretty anxious because I know you took my handwriting. I don't know. I don't know what you've done with it. You probably read my mind. I don't know what you think, but I'm I'm, I'm super anxious about that. Really excited too. Yeah. So we asked Megha to write a handwriting sample on a blank, unruled sheet of paper, and uh, as she wrote, obviously she wrote something beautiful as always. I also have her signature uh, at the end of the page. And her signature is bilingual, which I wanted our listeners to, you know, have kind of an insight into. She writes only May in her signature in Hindi and everything else is written in English. Now, anybody who is bilingual has uh, multiple 
orientations and i want to know more about this megha because we say either culturally these people are exposed to multiple cultures or they have parents who are from different backgrounds and thereby they can't decide their ethnicity in as a singular identity is that applicable to you <laughs> okay um that's very accurate i think very accurate for a very long time i had no idea where i was from i definitely was confused about my identity because for the first 10 years of my life i was in singapore okay. and then in my 5th grade we moved back to kerala and i find out that oh okay i'm from kerala my parents grew up in kerala my grandparents grew up in kerala so then i attend school and all the other kids are like but you don't look like a malayali okay <laughs> and then i go back home and i tell my parents do i not look like a malayali and they like no 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 we are not malayalis we are from mangalore so we speak tulu and and i'm just like at this point i'm just what are you saying <laughs> and when i was in singapore tamil was my second language so it gets really wow. confusing from here because i can speak a lot of languages i can even understand kannada because okay. um basically before i was born my parents lived in bangalore for a long time so my sister's first five years were in bangalore she knows kannada so they speak kannada they speak tulu and like at this point it's it's a mix of everything uh, so i'm glad that you have only two languages in your signature <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i never wrote that name thinking it was hindi for me it was um the devanagari script i think it's also used for sanskrit right yes it is so in my head sanskrit is where a lot of languages originate from so i was like okay you know what i'm going to go to the mother of all languages and just use that <laughs> and it's easier to kind of like know that that definitely is my origin at some level I, Oh, and if you've noticed, the A at the end is also kind of like an at symbol. Okay. Ah, uh, in the signature. I I so, did, but I wasn't sure whether it's at symbol or the that's your style of A. What does that signify? It's it's this right. We I think a lot of us millennials grew up in the age of the internet. Definitely the Gen Z. They've been on the internet since forever. Of course. But we were in that. transition so we were not completely internet based kids but i think once i hit college there was so much more we had already i think in high school we graduated from emails to something else and there was whatsapp so it's also that that oh nice that transition everything contributes to identity so how uh, about so i'm so in awe that you were able to catch on to all of that that's that's really cool Thank you. So on our show, if you like something, you say absolutely right. That's the name ah, of. Ah, okay. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna say <laughs> that. <laughs> so your profession is to to express, and you know the way you you're known for for the way you speak. But when I look at your handwriting, most of your writing goes to the left side, and some of them are the vertical strokes. That talks about you being an extreme introvert. to add to that is uh, the the line the score you know that that horizontal line in your signature that is on top of your letters talking about that i want to talk to you but only when i choose to and you think you know me but hello you haven't spent time with me or i haven't allowed you in my inner world 
So that is very interesting and that is mostly misleading. I'm sure there are so many people around you who are like, I know Megha. And you're like, hmm, you think you know Megha. And let's pause and, and talk about that. Um, Aditi, absolutely right. <laughs> Honestly, first of all, uh, I'm left-handed. I think, you, I think you're not surprised to hear that because I'm not. sure you would have already known uh, through my handwriting. Mm-hmm. But also the second part which you talked about, how I'm introverted. Not a lot of people know that. Actually, because if you've seen me interact with my audience or even go up on stage the way I perform, it screams, let's say, oh, this person knows how to be social. This person's probably like an extroverted person, needs people around her all the time. I get so overwhelmed by crowds. Like I was out promoting my book a few weeks ago, um, jumping around to different cities, going on to different stages, uh, meeting a lot of people. I love that. But I also get very overwhelmed easily because I am introverted. And by the end of the day, I do need like at least an hour before I sleep to be by myself in my room without anyone disturbing me. Like I need to get away to refill. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds so, I don't know, I wouldn't call it problematic, but it just sounds so weird. No, it's because, so normal. <laughs> I think we should normalize this. This is where the problem is. People think introvert people are these shy people, which is not true. Or rude, right? It's very easy. Like throughout <laughs> my school and college life, I was labeled rude because I just wouldn't talk. I could go days and months without talking. I mean, I, I went through university one year without really talking. I enjoyed that. <laughs> And I'm sure other people felt extremely uncomfortable about it. And you're like, yeah, but you deal with it. I can't help you. Honestly, there's so much comfort in silence. And I think we need to also normalize that, right? Silence is very comfortable. Like you can, my mother's funny, by the way, the sense that I'll be sitting in the hall and she's also sitting there and she's, she's got the TV on. She's not really watching it. She's doing something else. And I say, if you don't want the TV, switch it off. It's like, no, no, I, I can't live without the noise. I need something in my ears. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I could never relate to that. I, I can't even relate to people being, you know, when I'm performing, I, it's like a switch. It's, it's a switch. I switch something on. Suddenly I know what to be. It's yeah. effortless too. It's not like I put in a lot of effort for that, but, then I get super overwhelmed and then I move away from it. I need to retreat. I need to, I need to suddenly become invisible. There's this intense need for an invisibility. And I, I know that comes from that introverted space. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And, you know, I, don't, I, I personally feel mesmerized when I see these correlations in your behavior and handwriting because it's, it's been 20 years almost and I, I fall in love with it every single day. You know, the signature is your public image. So the very fact that you have that, that line, horizontal line that covers your letters, that means when you are in public, you need to hide. And the words that you use is like that, that is intense need to be invisible. It's exactly what that line talks about. Now, a small observation, which is very rare, there are two dots in your signature but they are not under your signature, but on top of it. So which means when people look at you and that those dots uh, talk about socializing. So when you put them above that horizontal line, which is available for people to look at, they look at those two dots and that's your socializing in public. 
and socializing intellectually because that area the upper part of your writing talks about intellectual connection which is so so interesting because your socializing is all about connecting with people at the level of ideology and not social everyday conversations that's exactly you do but your mind felt the need to put those dots up there <laughs> anywhere else in the signature i think that is like the mind body coordination it just figures it out so i'm curious what if those dots had appeared below the signature would that mean like a, an emotional connection or what what would that mean more about the need for socializing what okay. assume you to be like you know you want people around or you want to hang out with people when you're socializing now literally you love friendships and i'm i'm walking deeper and looking at other traits in your writing you love people and you really appreciate them it's just that the the intensity that you bring into the conversation very few people can deal with people want you to be intense and they want you to be normal and whatever their idea of normal is like you know talking about things and you know your friendships are those people who have survived you over these years and those who wanted to change that intensity wanted you to mellow it down you looked at them you say i understand your point but i don't think that's what i want to choose and mega i feel that level of clarity at the age this young age is phenomenal most people given to the social pressures they given to conformity and you haven't i think that's what makes it more difficult and also more authentic as a person you know thank you so much for validating that first of all i think i spent a majority of my growing years trying to be less and i mean that in the most um i mean that in the humblest way honestly trying to be less because it was confusing people would read my work and say you're so intense that's so beautiful that's so powerful that's so fierce in real life it was such a bad you meet people they love you so much they want to hang out with you all the time yeah i'm i'm up for it and then like a week later they're like okay this is too much for me this is overwhelming i've grown up being told i was too much and at one point it started seeming like it was a bad word for me it was like okay i need to tone it down a bit i need to be less emotional less obsessed with someone less making the whole world out of something i get so excited i get so angry i get so upset i get so happy it's it's always in abundance and i have also reached a point where i understand initially it used to make me really sad like i i become friends real fast with someone if i like someone and then they they change their mind after a while because they can't handle it and then it would really upset me because i just be like then why did you hang out so often with me in the beginning you could have just mm-hmm. said that you didn't want this but now i've come to realize that it's okay it's okay and i have truly found people i have an inner circle that understands me so well that can deal with you know with my intensity people who are completely okay with the intensity people mm. who will tell me up front when they say mega i need my space i'm going to just uh, you know you do your thing sit there do you do whatever you want but i don't want to talk right now i'm just going to go in the kitchen and drink my tea just be there but be with me please so you know that they are empathetic they care for you but they also make their boundaries clear and i appreciate that so much so i found 
I actively look for safe spaces in friends circles. Like I don't need a big circle. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to attend anyone's party. I don't want to sit around and gossip. I just want four to five friends, family who really get me. And I found that, and I really cherish that. Like it, it was also my effort because I really curated my circle. I'm very proud of that. I I I definitely second that because you're so. honest and i'm not only saying this because i read that about you because many people write that sentence for you you're fiercely and dangerously honest they said i love that that statement but i want i was looking at your handwriting and there are letters in a and o's which have no inner loops okay. anybody who writes the letter a or o that clearly without any circle or loops inside it they have the intensity to be honest in the relationships and honesty honestly speaking can be a dangerous idea because sometimes people are not ready to hear the truth not because they don't want that from you they don't want it from anybody so they are not ready to hear the actual things that they are trying to hide from themselves and you walk around like a mirror you hold it in their faces and that is uncomfortable yeah i mean i do walk around with the truth and and it's not that i'm blunt i'm definitely not blunt i'm not harsh but maybe even my existence could be harsh right i don't mean it i i don't even say certain things that would be like oh that's really rude why would you say that it's just i think i do come across very often as an open healing wound like like a scar it's healed maybe it hasn't but whatever it is there's so much clarity in it i know what i am and that would make people uncomfortable and i i'm okay with that i <laughs> there's so much of growing to do with that in relation to that because like their truth is uncomfortable to hear my own truth is also uncomfortable even when i was writing my book teething and i give it to people like you know my mom read it and then she reads it she, and she's like it's really beautiful but why do you have to write like that <laughs> and then i said what do you mean and she said you know with so much of grieving like what's going on mm. um she's like you don't have to write like that you're a child and i said i don't know what to make of that like <laughs> you know i don't know what that means i know it's making you uncomfortable but i don't know what to say to that <laughs> but i guess that's how it is that's the reality of me a lot of people i know have been uncomfortable with that reality it's also it's also one of those things in my identity that's quite unchangeable like i made active effort to change a lot of things um everyone is problematic at some point there are many problematic behavioral patterns to like everyone that I makes us should them, have it i think yeah. we should have it that makes us human I mean that helps us learn, right? So that we can always keep adapting and changing. But then there are some very inherent patterns with our own, let's say, like personalities that are really unchangeable. Like no matter how much you try, you know, it just—it's—it's it's not a free will kind of thing. It's sure. your your personality. So much of it is really predetermined. I do believe that. So when I started my career, I because handwriting could talk about it, and we also have a, a stream called graphotherapy. I said, "Oh, does that mean we can change everything about the person?" <laughs> I was eighteen, right? So I wanted to like really jump in and change every problematic area. It took a few years of realization to understand that there are some parts 
that are given to you as your mold and you can't fight the mold you can find fight the accessories maybe and there are learned behaviors that can be dropped but things that are truly yours faster you accept them own them and then start operating from there to still do what you need to do still create what you need to create but that acceptance i think takes forever for people to even fathom as an idea yeah and i'll give you an example right some like a lot of things are based on choices but a lot of things aren't so what can't be changed i, I mean if i gave like a personal example i would say i can't change the way i react like i feel about certain things right in the sense that i am an emotional person so no matter how hard i try i can't stop being emotional about things i i can't stop those emotions but what i can change is surrounding myself with things that will not trigger me into making those negative emotions reach that peak maybe maybe certain patterns that i've noticed with relationship where i'm like oh because i'm like this because i get emotional and i keep uh, you know making a big deal out of something when it isn't the best way is to probably communicate so communication is a choice that we make whereas that emotion bit i'll never be able to change that so like i said so what you're saying is you cannot stop things from triggering you but you can change your reactions or responses to them yeah. or you can create an environment where you are not necessarily walking in a mind field where you would be triggered and blasting yourself exactly. over and over again exactly because some people some personalities do not match with your personality and they will always trigger you and you will see those personalities repeating you'll be caught in the same loop again and again until you you know remove yourself from those kind of situations or you actually break your loops exactly other aspect of of trigger and reaction and it comes from a victor frankl's work he speaks a lot about it and he says every time we get triggered and we fall into that trigger reaction loop is where we are making a choice we don't know it's an unconscious choice but once we start training ourselves in responses and that's a tough one but once you do that once your mind gets trained into it it just changes the narrative completely victor frankl i have heard this name what's his book called a man search for meaning oh okay it's a very beautiful. popular work okay, and it's no a very one. beautiful book it talks about his trauma and his struggle through you know the holocaust surviving and okay. the process and how he then started using his insights in, with his patients so it's not an easy read for sure but one of the it's about trauma it's about trauma and right. obviously grief he lost his entire family when when he was sent to the the camps camps yeah Yeah, I was very curious about you know why you asked me to write. You know when you were asking for a handwriting sample, you asked me to write using a ballpoint pen. And I remember the first time I submitted it, I had not used a ballpoint pen. I just used like a gel pen or something. And then you asked again, and I thought, okay, which means this is really important for the analysis. So why? I mean, it's it's so interesting. <laughs> so you spoke about the emotional intensity, right? The yeah. intensity is the energy with which you write every single stroke. People who are emotionally intense, they use more 
pressure, more force when they write on the paper. And every single choice, if you look at it, you know, it's very poetic. Every single choice that you make while writing that one sample talks about the choices that you've been making unconsciously. So the pressure is one thing that never changes. And you're absolutely correct when you said, I cannot change the intensity of my emotions. And that is one of the handwriting factors one can never change and one should not change is the pressure of the writing. When you write with that amount of pressure, have you noticed how many pages do you create those tresses on when you write one single line? Now that if you use a ballpoint pen, it becomes even more evident. If you use any other pen, including a pencil for that matter, that pressure, that honesty of the pressure is compromised. Because That's why I don't use ballpoint pens at all. (laughs) Because I go like three pages deep when I write and then it's like I waste three pages because you can see the marks on the second, third and the fourth. And then of course the opposite side, I I can't even use It's just... (laughs) It's like I've inscribed, you say. Yes. And, and that's how I hold my pen also. Like I hold it in a really weird way. When, you know, like people used to write on leaves, they would, <laughs> you know, hold it very perpendicular to the leaf. That's just how I write. That's also because of the left-handed grip. Ah. It has to be held like that. Otherwise, you can't read what you're writing. So that's more yeah. of what to do with your left-hand grip. Ah, no. But the pressure is the beautiful aspect of it. I think most people do not know what to do with intensity in general, in life, in every walk of life. And they get scared of intensity because they think normal means uh, blunt or trained or like actually uh, molded into the softer aspects so that you don't have to deal with the sharp edges. So when you bring in emotions, so it's, it's with memory, Megha. It's with, so let me tell you a few things about only the pressure, only, and it will be, so interesting for you to correlate with so many of your behaviors that you fail to understand why am I not like other people so that intensity of the pressure that choice comes from the fact that as a child you were loved and held by many people very very close to their heart and it mattered to them your existence mattered your existence mattered they actually went beyond their comfort zones to create a space for you Now, it is not in the manner you understand, not in the manner you expected, but that does not discount from the fact that they did it. And they did everything beyond their capacity. And because you were a plant like that who needed more nurturing, probably they could not be enough. But that doesn't mean they didn't do enough. And that probably uh, is one thing that stays very as an important part of your life or the way you look at your childhood and I want I'm saying this from your handwriting so I don't know your story I don't know what all has happened but I'm still saying it because that amount of pressure is not available without a child feeling secured in his or her environment so there is this tremendous amount of trust you had on one or more people that created that reservoir energy that is expressed today everywhere you go for sure yeah no i mean it's extremely relatable and also as a even as a child right understanding that you know you're not i mean when i say not like other children again i don't mean it in a way when i'm like oh i thought i was special it was more like i was just so weird and i look back and i know i remember growing up feeling like the weird kid always being really weird like 
just super weird no i wouldn't talk i wouldn't i wouldn't talk to the point where even my parents thought that you know i was wasn't able to mm-hmm. and because for like a few years after i was born i just didn't talk and but also the kind of nurturing i got from my family from everyone in my family all the friends family friends as well you right they did think that i was really really more than i don't think it had anything to do with oh it's uh, i mean that's a precious baby but a lot more to do with oh this kid doesn't know anything like this kid is so naive the world is going to get to her she doesn't get it like she's just so <laughs> naive and the world did get to me after a point and i did learn a lot of lessons which is why i'm not as naive anymore but as a kid yeah i was i was in my own world i was lost i was completely lost and they became your your cushion they became your net and that is so beautiful because the same child being brought up in an environment where that wouldn't have happened probably the scars would have reached you much earlier oh yeah i had like a i've always had a beautiful support system i remember even as a kid like i was so naive and dumb i wouldn't even i wouldn't want anyone else to get hurt you know so i would sit in class and people would bully me and this boy bit my ear once and i cried but i didn't complain about him because i was just like oh i don't want him to get into trouble um he was not even a friend but i just felt that way you know like i was just that compassion as a kid i don't know why it was there mm-hmm. I, it shouldn't have happened i should have been a selfish kid most kids are selfish are they and that's good <laughs> but i was this is what i meant by good um you know it's it's not healthy to care for others more than you care for yourself but i think i as a kid it mattered and then i go home and my ear is bloody and my sister's like what and then she goes to class she comes to my class the next day and starts like yelling at the boy like she goes and tells the boy's sister who's like in her, in her class and and i was definitely protected whether i mean there were so many things that could have gone wrong but i always had someone to fall back on many people and that's beautiful that's so beautiful so over to you mega any questions you have for me yeah i mean if i could especially with the way you've interpreted me i have so many questions but i'm going to you know limit myself to the ones that no you matter the most to me i don't know how you do that honestly it's it's phenomenal it's transcendental it's really something <laughs> okay so um right this is kind of in uh, relation to what we were talking about about being introverted right so my career and also um uh, i am planning on taking like long break from my career sometime in the future maybe few months from now uh, after i'm done promoting the book because i'm you know it's funny right it's not like a lot of people know me but i still feel so exhausted even you know as a writer i always believe that we are observers so when we are being observed it's <laughs> it's difficult i i don't think that's how it should work so my career involves a lot of stage shows and you know crowds and as an introverted person that really gets so overwhelming mm-hmm. i don't it's not like every time it happens but then there's just like a point where i snap and i feel like disappearing and i feel like 
I I don't I don't want to step out of my house. I don't want I don't want anyone to even see me. I don't want to even say anything on social media. I want to get rid of everything and just you know be left alone. So how do I deal with that? Like right now, I know that you know the way I'm coping with it is by taking a break. But my fear is that what if I do need more breaks like that? I'm I know that's going to affect my career. Or what if I just leave everything one day and you know just retreat, do something ordinary, which is so amazing by the way. But I'm conflicted all the time. I love extraordinary, but I also crave to be away from it. How do I deal with this? So this is a classic struggle for somebody who is an introvert but in public eye. Mm-hmm. Now the only markers that tell you that this is my exhaustion point, they come when you're already feeling exhausted. Yeah, and that is a problem. Yeah, because my brain is fried right now, and I I keep thinking I just put a book out. I just put it out. I've just been promoting it for a few weeks. I can't run away now. But every day it just gets more and more difficult for me, and I keep thinking. I've given myself three months to still stay in the public eye for the book because the book deserves it. You know, you know how you think it's still a baby; it can't be abandoned like that. But at the same time, and I'm not really the kind of person who really needs a mental health break. I don't. I know the way I function. I'm high functioning, even on my worst days. I am so productive. It's it's not a healthy thing. I do agree. It's not at all a healthy thing. but i am aware that i'm capable of being really productive even on my worst days um but still uh, i think this break like you know it's just more like everyone's watching am i betraying my creativity my art i have this big I- artist crisis going on <laughs> and that's why i feel taking a break might sound like this romantic idea but it's not a great idea <laughs> i've romanticized it a lot <laughs> so so many times this happens to high performers that because they discover and especially in your case it is early in your life where you discovered your craft and you've been working at it so it's also part of your language of understanding the world not only expressing yourself but your craft is the way you understand and you interpret the world mm-hmm. if you take a break and you say okay i want to take a break from all of this is not always only the public eye it's also disconnecting from that language that through which you look at the world and that is not okay so instead of reaching a point as i was saying that you only realize it when your pressure cooker is about to blast is that you're like oh my god i should do something about it what if you start creating those those whistles in the middle on a regular basis if required uh, in few hours and there's a different thinking that involves uh, that kind of behavior you know like you literally have to sit down and figure out what are those moments where you can go as deep in your concentration deep in your recharge mechanism and that works for you can you do them on a daily basis if three times if needed but instead of saying okay i'm going to run out of my battery because now i want to do it for 3 months non stop and then i'm going to take a break for 3 months and just recharge and then come back and again do it again and again take a break the risk that it has this mechanism is it is not controlled you constantly mm. feel i am subjected to the amount of crowd the amount of uh, you know in like involvement they have with me so your remote control in other people hand is never a good idea 
if you know that because I'm an introvert and intensely involved in what I'm doing, I need to create intense silence gaps. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm an introvert myself and my work involves these intimate conversations with people all the time. And when I'm doing it, I, when I was of your age, I took a break for two and a half years. I took a sabbatical because I'm like, I can't do this enough. I, I can, can't do it at all because I was talking to all these CEOs, CXOs who were talking about their midlife crisis for almost 18 months nonstop. Hmm. I'm like, I think I need, I, I was getting into my midlife crisis already and I took a break. One thing I realized about the break and also I then met many introverted people who are phenomenal public performers out of curiosity because I was dealing with it. They spoke about it over and over again. Everyday mechanisms that work for you to really go deeper in your own world. And then you show up and you then face the world. I just came back from five days silence retreat because... Too much of talking happened last year and I wanted to end with like five days of no eye contact, nothing. And it worked. But those deliberate and proactive ideas work better than actually being reactive to the situation. Because internally, though you want the voice of your craft to have the best platform, you might become the hindrance on the way. You say, of course. No, of course. I mean, I already feel it, right? Me thinking that, oh, I need a break at the height of let's say teething coming out is it's going to i shouldn't do it which is why i'm not doing it um, at least not yet but also this insane need until i do it i'm not gonna until i walk the path um i'm not gonna understand also right whatever you say is so logical but emotionally my heart's rejecting it in the sense that it's like no but i need the break i need the break and it's this you know it's this it keeps going on where until I've tried it. And I know, I know what's going to happen. Few months into it, I'm going to miss everything that I gave up. And I'm going to be like, I made a mistake. But giving up or doing it intensely can't be the only options. I'm mm-hmm. saying, what if we start having that intensity of break, of taking mm-hmm. a break as an idea on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. But do that deliberately. Do not wait for your burnout moment to come. And <laughs> people don't feel that way because they say, oh, three months, I'm just going to go through it or pretty much like suffer through it. And then I will take a break where I will nurture. It can't mm-hmm. function like that. Your mind's no. and emotional functioning patterns are such that you've got to do it on a regular basis, a daily basis, if possible. I mean, it's also not healthy in the long term, right? It's like you, you, you push yourself to the point where you break and then you go the other extreme. It mm-hmm. can't be so black and white. No, absolutely not. So Vega, the, the book, wherever, where all is it available and how can people find it? And if you can read something from your book, we are all very curious. Okay. Um, so the book, signed copies of the book are available in some, in some bookstores in Bangalore, Bombay and Delhi. Um, it's also available on Amazon. So you can find it there if you're looking to order online, but not signed copies, of course. Okay. I, I went to a bunch of cities so that I could sign the copies. Okay. Hopeful that it would reach someone um, who cares about signed copies. Mm, but yeah, the book is, you know, it's funny because when I was writing the book, I was completely immersed in it. And then I put it out there. And for a few weeks, I was going around telling everyone about it. I was super excited because I think. At that point, because it was done with its edits and now I was only thinking about how, yeah, it's a book. 
I didn't, it, it completely slipped my mind what was inside the book. I mean, I knew, I knew it, like logically no, I speaking, you. I knew it, but I had forgotten how emotionally attached I was to it because I hadn't read it for a while because I was done editing it. And, you know, I waited a bit before it got published. Um, so when it was out, I'm telling everyone, oh, hey, listen, guys, my book is out, go buy my book. And then reviews start coming. And people are like, this reads like a diary entry. The intensity at which this person has written this, oh my God, how can someone be, get so vulnerable? And I'm like, oh my God, let me just go back and look what I've written. And so I spent an entire day reading my own book. Okay. And I go through every poem and I think people have access to me. I feel exposed and I clam up and I think, oh my God, it's, imagine you're in high school and um, all the kids read your diary. Like some bully takes your diary, steals it. You've written everything, you've written everything and they take it and they, you know, make photocopies and hand it out to all the kids. Oh my God. <laughs> I just felt that way. But much worse, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, I had a crush on this person. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm mad at my mom. It's not that. It's not high school. It's the real world. So I'm actually talking about trauma. I'm talking about growing up. I'm talking about scars. I'm talking about my relationship with my mother, which is confusing. I'm talking about my mother's depression which I don't even know, it, it isn't mine to talk about. And I know I've spoken it from a third person's perspective, but it's still so complicated and so difficult to talk about. Some things, even if it's like a family story, it's still that individual story. But the way that individual story has impacted you because you love them. Sure. So many things, right? And I'm talking about all this. I'm talking about heartbreak. I'm talking about intimate experiences. Oh and suddenly I realize I've spoken too much mm. and I've, I've spilled all the secrets and this is so scary. I wouldn't take it back. I love the book. The book is, you know, for the past two years, three years, I guess, everything, it's a dream, but it's beyond that now. Fiction is, I've realized fiction for me is easier to write. But poetry, poetry is easy, but also insanely difficult in the sense that it's catharsis, but it also breaks you down. So it's a very conflicted, complicated relationship with it. But the book is basically about three kids growing up in Kerala and it's about innocence. That's the major theme in it. Innocence, losing innocence and coming back to innocence and awesome. loving the world, loving life despite the world. That's what it is. Goosebumps, <laughs> as always. I remember seeing you perform at the Commune uh, Spoken Word Fest for the first time. Goosebumps then, goosebumps now and every time you perform. Is there anything you would like to read for us? Yes. So this is from the second chapter. It's called Secondhand Children. It's kind of like a prose poem. So it's also like a scene, a memory, maybe um, a memory of the kids that I'm talking about, the characters. Uh, and it's called Secondhand Children. I think you would, you know, you'd already understand what, what, what it's about. It's about these kids who, you know, they're abandoned while they're growing up. As in not 
abandoned physically but probably emotionally so but at the same time the innocence right that kids grow up with never goes away for a while at least no. okay life is a riddle and waking up is the answer is the kind of night when fireflies eclipse the stars and my baby sister's silhouette swallows my doorway as she shows up with her pillow and bed sheet i can't sleep she whispers neither can i i say i pack mama's homemade jackfruit jam and help her out of the window as we begin running we're sprinting like two magnificent wolves howling our chests out our silver anklets whistling violently as the wind begins a sultry affair with our hair we are wild things that no past can own chasing dragonflies into the humid dark we only stop at the beach to bite cheap devil like crowns and then race each other again our heads flashing red our horns locking high pitched laughter shooting into the air like fireworks during the trishul pooram festival around us are strangers selling ripe golden mangoes and water guns watching the rain fall on our faces splattering on our noses blurring our vision what would they give to be so wonderfully young just for this one month to be so preciously innocent for this once and never again who knows where we would be next year or in another 10 selling in the streets or working government jobs married to someone we love or don't living alone or dead i glance at my sister's lonely tomboyish face and grin wet hair sticking onto my forehead like tailored pleat curtains mirror images looking like freedom the sky is nothing but a seamstress waiting to dress us up in moonlight her hands are delicate summers the years ahead working in the fields will harden them but not today today we are not second hand children nobody wants to play with we are fiercely loved and today it feels like we are every beautiful thing in the world every possibility of magic like nothing could stop us from being like we are worthy of breath i smile back at her and we finally sit down settling into the soaked sand and digging up fingers into the jackfruit jam it's 2 am already tomorrow someone once told me told us that the most dangerous people in the world were those who wanted to live i want to live i want to live i want to live oh my god oh my god thank you thank you phenomenal phenomenal thank you so much aditi thank you i'm going to jump in and say oh my god again <laughs> thank you thank you for writing this i think the courage that that you show in every performance and and the problems that you talk about and the realities the way you weave them together just bring so much of catharsis so i think your work is more than poetry is healing and therapy that people might not see it like that immediately but i'm sure the words grow on them and they do feel the effect of the therapy that you do i used to think you know that was dangerous because people would just say oh i can't afford therapy but i listen to your poems and i thought that's not right that's not right that's like giving me too much responsibility i i i've not learned this you know i am not equipped to do this but then i also realized that all of art is going to be therapeutic in some way or the other and that's just how it is literature music if someone finds comfort in it um that's good that's a good and, thing and the healing process has already started because yeah. i think acknowledging what you are feeling or what you are experiencing is a large part of of 
starting your healing process. So if people acknowledge it and identify with what they're feeling in the moment, that is the beginning of this process. Thank you for being part of this wonderful, vulnerable conversation with Megha and I. I felt as if every single story, every single example, every single question just got woven into one another. As I mentioned earlier, we simply couldn't edit any part of this conversation. So we have broken the episode into two parts. The second part will be released next week. Make sure that you set a reminder and listen to the other part where we speak about coping mechanism, personality as a process, identities at large and fear of death. With each absolutely right episode, we try and find ways in which you can identify your own journey, take it to the next level and find things that otherwise are missing. To do it in a structured manner, we have created India's first mental gym called APT. We talk about tools, methods and everyday mental workout and emotional diet that can make you stronger, more sustainable and actually look at problems for what they are. Instead of getting stressed by situations, you stand there and start finding possible solutions. If you want to know more about this mental gym, you can check out our website aptmentalgym.com. I see you on Friday with our short episode on the Absolutely Right podcast. Till then, happy writing. Thank you.